0: Good morning. I'm Lexi Stoll, and I'm a senior here at First Baptist. So the message that we're gonna to read today is from Colossians three, twelve through seventeen. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. And forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in each step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate kindness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house give it plenty of room in your lives and instruct and direct one another using good common sense and seeing, seeing your hearts out to God and let every detail in your lives words actions whatever be done in the name the master Jesus thanking God the father every step of the way so I don't know about you but reading that verse there's a lot of things that I can say I'm not doing in my life I'm I'm not displaying those qualities that Paul writes about for us Christians to do. And I've asked myself recently, like, why is that, Lexi? Why haven't you been able to display those qualities and let God kind of be that person in total control of your life? And so when I think about it, being a senior, I'm faced with a lot of decisions, and I'm just like, God, why can't I just let you be that person in my life? And so when I think about it further... I came up with a solution or the problem that's kind of occurring in my life. I'm holding on to anger and frustration in my life. And I use that to, to be my excuse not to follow God and be that person that's in total control. So I let it fester in my life and I lose sight of him. I can't let God be the peace that keeps me in tune. I can't thank him every step of the way because I let that ang- my anger get in the way of that. So, and I choose to focus negative occurrences in my life instead of what God wants me to do. So, like, some of the things I focus on are feeling like I do the right thing and work really hard, but never get that, never get that outcome that I want. Or feeling like I was a good, loyal friend to someone, but then them not displaying it back to me and feeling like, wow, why did I, why I wasted my time with that, you know? Or... Comparing myself to others and feeling like I want what they have whenever I should be content with what I have. Or letting other people define my worth instead of what God has in store for me. And so to further explain this, let me just look at, like, one of my biggest accomplishments in my life was receiving All-State in track and field last year. For those of you that are unfamiliar with track and field, it's a team sport, but it's mostly individual, especially what I do. I'm a triple jumper and a long jumper. The pressure is on for me to perform well. I can't rely on anyone else to do it for me. I, can't, I have to go on the runway on my own and actually do the jump. And so it's based on me if I want success or not. And that's kind of why I feel like it's been successful for me, because I'm doing it on my own. I'm not relying on others. I don't have to be the coach's favorite. I, don't, I can just go out there, do my jump, and if I jump the best, I get to compete. And so I felt like that accomplishment in track was completely on my own. I had challengers faced in my my direction, wanting to take my varsity spot. I felt like my coach didn't believe in me at times. And a lot of time I felt like I did that accomplishment all on my own, and it was up to me. Life is a lot like track. It's a team sport, but we mostly live it as individuals. I've learned that I tend to approach my life like I do with track. Like, I have no other choice but to do life on my own because that's been the best outcome for me. Something good's going to happen if I'm going to be the one to make it happen. And I use those negative occurrences because those negative occurrences have been things that have been completely out of my control. So if if I'm able to completely control things, I'm going to have a good outcome. But if I'm not able to control things, I'm not going to have that good outcome. That's kind of how my mindset is. And so I ask you today... Is there anything in your life that's hindering you from displaying the qualities that um, this verse in Colossians writes about? Is there something or some things you feel like you need to let go to enable for God to be in total control? If so, I encourage you to think about what that underlying problem is. Mine's anger, and it kind of still is. Um, I challenge you to pray and focus on letting that go like I am right now. I'm focusing on trusting God and the good that he's done in my life, I can't. I can't keep believing that I can take my life on my own and just kind of hope everything works out. I have to just live by faith and and not let those other things get in the way. And I have to focus on the good things, like receiving all state and track and field wasn't all on my own. Like I needed God for that. Like there was a lot of things that could have went wrong, and God was able to rec- direct me and guide me through that. And I've been blessed with an amazing family and support system, and I can't focus on those friendships that have failed or people that have done me wrong. I have to focus on the good things and that God has provided for me, my needs and my wants, and I shouldn't let other people's situations and what they have get in the way of that. And so that's what I'm working on. I'm not there yet, but I'm willing to keep trusting God and believe that he's in control. God knows what he's doing, and he can do good out of anything. Is trustworthy, and if I just take the time to look at it, I can and cultivate in that gratitude. Things will work out. So I choose to fo- focus God and focus on God, and slowly rid myself of my anger. I hope you will too. Thank you.
1: Sometimes it's important for us to be silent in order to hear God. <clears throat> But sometimes we need to use words too. Uh, so uh, the scripture reading comes from Matthew twelve thirty four through thirty seven and Matthew five twenty one through twenty two. This is the NRSV version, so it's the version in your pew Bibles. Matthew twelve thirty four starts: "You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out of a good treasure." and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure i tell you on the day of judgment you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned matthew 5:21 begins you have heard it said to those of ancient times you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment but I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, "You fool," you will be liable to the hell of fire. And there are plenty more passages in the Bible that concern the power that words have over us and over the people around us. Uh, Matthew, uh, excuse me, James three has a long passage about. Why a lot of people shouldn't be teachers because a lot of people will say stupid things and it's really hard to control that sort of thing. And Proverbs 16 has a a good bit about the words of the wise and the words of the foolish. And there are plenty more passages outside of the Bible that talk about the same thing and uh, other aspects of the way that language affects us. Uh, Pretty simply put, words and language are the most effective way that we have of communicating our thoughts to others. And By the same token, they're also the most effective way to completely confuse others as to what we are possibly thinking. And now, if you know me, you know that I like to talk a lot, and if I've got something I think is important to say, I'll talk for a really long time about it, but I'm on a time frame, so I'll try not to keep you here past one (laughs) o'clock. But... In all the times I've talked and all the conversations and arguments I've had, I know that sometimes words just make absolutely no sense. My dad always used to have this thing he would say that, uh, Mr. Lips are moving, but Mr. Brain has no idea what they're saying. (laughs) And that's really true, because sometimes words just really don't help a situation. And, in fact, if you say the wrong words, it can really hurt but still, that's really harsh. What uh, Jesus says in Matthew five. Uh, I know I've said worse than "you fool" to a good number of my friends on several occasions, and it doesn't really seem to be that bad. So I wonder. So, so it always kind of confused me as to why it was translated like this. And so, I, I'm going to do what the good Reverend Doyle Sager would do and tell you about the Greek origin of the word. Uh, In the Greek and in the King James Version, the word you fool is actually raka, which is not Greek in origin. It's Aramaic. And the point is it's related to other words. And so scholars aren't exactly sure how harsh of an insult this was actually supposed to be. So we don't know entirely whether Jesus was saying any insult or high insults. But I still probably said worse, just jokingly. And it doesn't seem to be that bad. But so, you see this really strong um, emphasis on the power of words and the way they affect others and how God judges you on that. But even between these two passages that I've read that seem to have a really similar message, there's a lot of things that don't really, that, that don't seem to connect. Uh, in the first passage, the Matthew 12 passage, it's written as if the words and the mouths of people themselves have power over the person. Uh, The Matthew 12 says you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter, like the word comes out of your mouth and then it's just there whether you meant anything by it or not. And uh, the James 3 passage I mentioned earlier basically talks about uh, nobody can tame a man's tongue. You can tame beasts, you can tame birds, but no one can tame a man's tongue. It's a wild animal, it's full of poison, it's a menace. And then in the Matthew 5 passage... It seems to imply that it's actually the intent behind words that really give them any sort of power, and, and it's the kind of intent that matters when you're being judged. The passage itself is about anger and actions out of anger, and not necessarily the actions themselves. And this actually seems a lot more, uh, this seems to go along a lot better with a lot of what other Jesus' his teachings were, which teach that it, it's the the hate or the love or the genuineness behind an action that makes it sincere or good or bad, especially when you consider that it's God, he knows what you need before you say it, God judging the words that you're saying. And this also fits in more with the way that we see words in the modern way, which is that words only have power if we give them power. We always say sticks and stones. And so that 's how the passage really fits together, the two passages that is uh, different people give different words, different amounts of power, and so it 's really all about the context that you 're talking in. unfortunately, there's nowhere in the Bible that has a list of modern English words that God is looking out for with a checklist saying don't say these words." Uh, even in the Bible, it talks about god's it, it talks about god 's Rules In a sense of context, he says you shall not lie, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Both of those are just have to do with where you're saying them, why you're saying them. And so really the connection here is that you have to take into account your own inner person and the people outside. And so this is the important part of the message. This is the part of the sermon you always want to listen to, and it's what it all means for the way you live your life and it really boils down to watch what comes out of your mouth and it seems really simple but it is and it's just also really complex words you know it's confusing It really comes down to being sure what you're going to say before you actually say it. You've got to be sure that it's appropriate for others, the people around you to hear. It's uh, for whether you're with friends, whether you're with uh, co-workers, or whether you're with complete strangers. And you've got to be sure that it's appropriate for yourself and appropriate for God. And it sounds really simple when I say it now, but in the moment it's really not. Because if you're overwhelmed by emotion, uh, I've had plenty of times where I've been trying to sound... Uh, like the smartest person in the room or, or try to sound funny or just try to sound cool, and I say exactly the worst possible thing I could have said. And it's really a shame because it's just these simple sounds that come out of your mouth that can really ruin you for yourself and for your friends and for the people around you and for God. And It's in times like these when it's hard to control what you're saying or when you don't know what you need to say to the people around you that really, and this situation probably comes up a lot more often than you think it does, and ask anyone around you and they'll probably say it's true. the best option is really just silence. Let's pray together. God... I thank you for all the people here who have helped me to get to where I am and hopefully farther, and for the blessings that you've poured out on me and on us and on those around us. Lord, please give us calm tongues and cool hearts so we can better serve you and we can better serve others. Thank you for giving us the power to praise and to preach and to curse even when we know we shouldn't. Help us to listen for you when you speak to us. Amen.
2: Good morning. My name is Haley Watson and I'm a senior here at First Baptist Church. I've attended church here my whole life so I kind of just want to start out by saying thank you to the congregation and everyone um, for kind of you know being a really big part of my life leading up until now and also thank you for being here today. So I'm going to go ahead and get started now. The idea of planning for the future is no foreign concept to us seniors. Honestly, if we had a dollar for every time someone asked us, what are your plans for next year or where are you going to college, we probably would be able to completely pay for college at this point. <laughs> but on a more serious note, senior year makes you feel like you have your whole future stretched out before you and the choices you make this year will affect you for the rest of your life. This probably isn't too far-fetched for those of you who aren't seniors also. Society tells us our lives should be planned. So what now? How do I make sure I don't miss out on God's perfect plan? Luckily, the Bible tells us what to do in Proverbs 16. It says, Mortals make elaborate plans, but God has the last word. Humans are satisfied with whatever looks good. God probes for what is good. Put God in charge of your work and then what you've planned will take place. God made everything with a place and a purpose. Even the wicked are included, but for judgment. God can't stomach arrogance or pretense. Believe me, he'll put those upstarts in their place. Guilt is banished through love and truth. Fear of God deflects evil. When God approves of your life, even your enemies will end up shaking your hand. When Far better to be right than poor than to be wrong and rich. We plan the way we want to live, but God makes us able to live it. This passage reminds us that we don't choose the best directions for our lives or make perfect plans. Only God can. Only God knows our ideal path for happiness and a life that glorifies him. So what do we do? We must prayerfully listen to God and act upon what he calls us to, even if it scares us or it's completely off course from our original plans. For example, if you would have asked me a year ago at this time what the summer of my junior year would have consisted of, I probably would have replied with, oh, um, going to a couple summer camps, babysitting, family vacation, something along those lines. Never in my wildest plans would I have thought I'd be living on the big island of Hawaii working for a church plant with Voyage ministries i worked for the local food bank special olympics west hawaii honani adult daycare kapunas which are elderly people and kids crossfit and various other service projects through all of those opportunities i was able to share my faith serve people and tell others about the love of christ in a culture that was not accustomed to christian beliefs doing all these things was never in my plan But through a series of events, God called me to the summer ministry. He made a very clear path and prepared a a plan for me to be able to go and serve. I was nervous about the situation and wondered what I was going to do about all of my student council responsibilities I was supposed to take care of over the summer, or what about youth mission trip, what about family vacation, what about time with my sisters or my friends. But I had to trust God's calling and that his plan was ideal. The entire summer was focused on serving others and acknowledging a way of life that might have been very different from the one I was accustomed to. I had to learn to adapt to a very different culture. There were different languages, food, recreation, and fun things that I was not used to. I was forced to broaden my horizons and learn about a new culture where I was the minority. Along the way, I was challenged by things including, but not limited to, the 3,960 miles that separated me from everyone I knew, working closely on a team with members from all different backgrounds, and living on my own, without parents and sisters for the first time. All of the challenges made me stronger and made, my, made the experience even more of a learning one. The biggest takeaway was I honed in on my love for serving other people and meeting them where they feel comfortable even if it means I may not feel comfortable at all times. And through that service, finding a way to share God's love and salvation with them. Listening to God's call and following where he led me, his perfect plan was revealed. I prayed a lot while I was alone in Hawaii and listened to God. But I know they say hindsight is twenty twenty, and looking back, I can see myself walking down God's path. I'm sure there are times in your life where you've taken of And done something that could only have been designed by God And the end result was good for you and good for God's kingdom But now we flash forward to the present, back to senior year Decisions have to be made, but in a prayerful way I made the decision to go to West Point Military Academy and run track And again, I would have never imagined that's what was in store for me for college It's a scary idea for my mortal brain But I also get a sense of comfort when I pray about it Because it's, I know it's where the Lord intends for me to go It's all a part of his divine plan. We've talked about following down God's path in the past. We've also talked about the path in the present. So that leaves the future, the future for all of us. There are so many possibilities among the people in this room, and everyone has a different future in store. No one knows what the future holds. In how to prepare for it, so we have to look at our path right now and follow it closely because it's the thing that's leading us to the future that honors God. So, First Baptist, I challenge you this morning to dig down deep and listen closely. Listen to God about the calls on your life that scare you or make you feel human because then it allows you to come in, it, then it allows God to come in and show you that his plan for your life is way greater than anything your own mind could dream up. And I think that's pretty cool.